Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Thank you to our worship team. Thank you for being here this morning. Hey, if you're watching online, thank you for joining us online at our Rossville campus as well. So glad you're here. I know many, many people are traveling this week and you're probably watching us in a hotel room. So thank you for doing that and being faithful. Hey, Matthew chapter five, if you have your Bibles and if you don't, it'll be on the screen in just a moment. Matthew chapter five. I'm This week and next week, I'm finishing up a sermon series called The Difference as we go through Matthew five. And Jesus said there ought to be a difference between the way a believer lives and an unbeliever lives, a Christian, non-Christian lives. And that difference is what shines a light on the gospel. And so he talked about it in Matthew chapter 5. How do we let our light shine? We let our light shine by there being a difference between somebody in church and somebody not in church. Somebody saved, somebody not saved. And so he's walking us through what some of those differences are. And this week, these really last two weeks... He starts into relationships and how we handle relationships uh, ought to be different than how the world handles relationships. So today, I want to preach on this subject, how to get along with others, how to get along with others. The Bible has some interesting verses in it that I think sometimes we're not even aware that some of these verses exist or we're, we, we don't really read them with care. One of those verses I want to show you this morning, I don't think we read it with care oftentimes, is Romans twelve eighteen, And it says this, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, I think it's a pretty funny verse because here's what God himself said, that there are some people you cannot get along with, right? If possible. Like the Bible acknowledges that, that relationships are hard. The Bible acknowledges that it doesn't come easy, that there's no greater dynamic than uh, uh, us trying to get along with other people. There's nothing that will cause you more stress in your life than trying to get along with people who are different to get along with. But if we're not careful, if we don't take it with the right attitude, right, if we don't approach it with the right attitude, then the mantra of our lives kind of becomes this. And here's what people say. They say, well, preacher, and I, I could get along with more people if they weren't so stupid. Right? And that kind of becomes our mantra, right? Well, preacher, it's not my fault. If people weren't so stupid, I could actually get along with them. But listen, I'm going to tell you, we do argue and fight a lot. If you just take our own nation, if you take our own country, man, we argue and fight a lot. There's always a lot of tension going on. And, and research will buy, bear that out. For example, they found out that uh, one in five adults say they get into arguments sometimes or often on social media like one in five adults is having an issue even getting along with people on social media a, a platform where you could no, totally ignore someone and we're still picking fights why do we pick fights that research, research same research told us this and I'm going to save a couple someone I know did not like what I posted, right? 22% of the fights are someone I know, somebody's supposed to be my friend, 
because we call it friending, right? Somebody I friended did not like what I posted, and then we got in a fight. Or I was defending someone else in an argument 19%. I did not like what someone I know posted. Again, one in five people. And this is, this is my favorite. The, the, I did not like what a stranger posted. Why do you care what a stranger posted? And then get this, the largest category. A stranger did not like why I posted. Why? I want to ask you a question. Why are you even friends with a stranger? There is an unfollow and an unfriend button. Use it liberally. Like somebody, I honest, somebody, somebody I don't know because I travel the nation and spoke in a lot of churches. Somebody I don't know, I get friended all the time. Somebody I don't know doesn't, they put something negative. I just, bye. Like, I don't care. I'm not going to fight with them. I, I don't care. But we'll fight with strangers. And if you look at this, 43% of our arguments on social media are from strangers. We can't get along with strangers. A lot of conflict in America. For example, the U.S. holds the top spot for the largest number of lawsuits in the world because we can't get along. You say, well, how many is that? There are 40 million lawsuits filed every year in the United States. 40 million lawsuits filed every year. We're not getting along with people. That U.S. company spent $23 billion in 2020 because of commercial litigation. Here's my favorite stat. Walmart gets sued 5,000 times a year. 5,000 times a year. We get into a lot of conflict in the U.S. and in our lives Everywhere we go, we see conflict. We have conflict online. We have conflict at work. We have conflict at home. And I saw this stat, looked it up. Listen, I don't know if it's true or not. I'm just telling you what they said. It could be, it could be twice what actuality is. But according to research, married couples argue 2,455 times a year. That with your spouse... You're getting in 2,500 arguments a year. If I do the math right, is that about eight a day? So, wow, preacher, that's before lunch. So that we're really, we're, it's low. It's low. Eight arguments a day. A day. So why do I have to preach on how to get along with others? Why did Jesus have to teach on how to get along with others? Because there is conflict all around us. There is conflict online and at home and work. How does a Christian respond to that? Hear me, our response is to be different. When we get down in the mud with the rest of the world, we don't look any differently than they look. But Jesus had a better way. Let me ask you this morning, how much conflict do you have in your life? I understand that some of your conflict may be hard to avoid, but can I say this? Most of your conflict is avoidable if you'll just do what Jesus said. So would you stand with me in honor of reading God's Word, Matthew chapter 5. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 38, Jesus said this. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. 
On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And as for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Thank you. You may be seated. Let me go. Let me do this. Let me walk you through the passage. There's some things I want to point out. Uh, about the verses and let me make five observations Jesus was trying to tell us because Jesus goes back and he starts with what they perceived to be the typical way uh, to deal with conflict right here was the guiding principle uh, uh, in verse number 38 here's the guiding principle Jesus said this you've heard that was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth right you've heard that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well this passage starts off with a reference to an Old Testament passage in the Old Testament it said, if a man kills anyone, uh, Leviticus 24, he must be put to death, life for a life. Whoever kills an animal is to make restitution for it, life for life. If any man inflicts a permanent injury on his neighbor, whatever he has done is to be done to him. Whatever he has done is to be done to him. Fracture for fracture. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he inflicted on the person, the same is to be inflicted on him. Whatever injury he inflicted on the person, the same is to be inflicted on him. This was called uh, the principle of proportionate retribution. The principle of proportionate retribution. It was older and more widely recognized than even the Mosaic law. As a matter of fact, the principle of the proportionate restitution is found in the Code of Hammurabi. It had been around a long time from the 18th century B.C. and it had the same examples of eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, it was used mainly for the judicial system. It was meant to be a law for a judge to decide. And it, in effect, meant this, that a judge was able to make the punishment fit the crime. So if you were in the court system back in, in, in the Leviticus, and there were judges, and there were under Moses, then a judge knew how to rule in a case. A fracture for a fracture, a blow for a blow, a life for a life, an eye for an eye, and two for the tooth. It was the guiding law of the courts of the day, and it was the guiding law in professional relationships as well. But now you get down to Jesus' day, and they allowed monetary exchanges in place of physical harm. For example, if you accidentally caused a neighbor or a stranger or anyone to lose an eye, you, you could set a monetary value on that eye. And you could place the, uh, uh, you could buy, for example, your, your neighbor's eyeball. As you can imagine, it was open to much abuse. There was money and corruption and accidents and all that. And it just becomes kind of a free-for-all sort of society. It was Coretta Scott King that said this, the old adage, an eye for an eye, leaves everyone blind. And that's what was happening. That's how the world operated. Well, then Jesus goes on into verse 39 and he says, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Jesus was going to lay down a new way of operating that would show the difference between a disciple and the world. In a world that advocates getting even or looking out for yourself and protecting your personal rights, Jesus is telling his followers to be different. That a slap from one man to another is not only painful, but it was a great insult. 
It was probably, we don't know, a backhanded slap or maybe a sideways slap. It'd be hard to illustrate maybe one man slapping another. Um, in, in Jewish law, you could take them to court to extract monetary damages. I mean, in a, really, in reality today, when's the last time you saw a man slap another man? I, oh, wait, maybe right here. Oh, this is it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, what in the world is going on in the world? You say, preacher, I don't know if the Bible's relevant to me. It was relevant Wednesday, best I could tell. Jesus said, what do you do when a man slaps you? Jesus said in verse 39, offer up the other cheek. Now, now that slap puts it just a little bit in perspective of what Jesus was saying. Je Jesus said, offer up the other cheek. That instead of, you, you say, well, Will Smith had to smack me. Let me tell you what I would have done. Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should have said, do you want the other side too? See, instead of demanding rights, we give them up freely. And according to Jesus, it is more important to give justice and mercy and grace than to get even. Not exactly what Chris Rock or you or they wanted to hear back in the day. And Jesus goes on. He said, as for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. Jewish males typically wore two garments, an inner garment, not, not necessarily underclothes, but like an inner garment next to the skin, and an outer garment that was your robe or your cloak that you would be layered in, in cloaks. And the outer cloak of a Jewish man was precious. Your outer cloak was not only just an outer coat, but it was a sleeping bag that you slept in. It was a backpack you could carry things in, and it was all around a utility tool. It was actually, get this, it was actually against the law of God to take your neighbor's cloak. It was against the law. And Jesus said, if they sue you to take away your inner garment, just do this. Go ahead and give them your outer garment as well. I mean, we're talking about how to get along with people, and Jesus says when somebody tries to take something away from you, give them more than what they're even trying to take away from you and here's what he was trying to tell you that you ought to hold on to your possessions very very loosely then he goes to verse 41 and if anyone forces you to go one mile go with him too now this is an allusion to the force uh, allusion to the force labor that soldiers could demand of ordinary citizens a soldier of rome could walk through your hometown as long as it was under roman rule he could commandeer any person in that town to carry their pack and their load a certain distance exactly one mile so a soldier walking through town or soldiers walking through town could grab a could grab a boy, a girl, a man, or a woman, and he could say, I want you to carry my load for one mile. And so you had to, you had to drop what you were doing. It was, you had no choice, and you had to carry their backpack, their sword, their provisions. It usually could have been uh, 100 pounds of load, and you had to stop what you were doing and carrying it. And so a, a troop of soldiers going through, a dozen soldiers at a time could stop a dozen people and say, I want you to carry my load for a mile. And by the way, when your mile was up, he could get somebody to go another mile. But by Roman law, he could only get you to go with him one mile. And so Jesus said this, instead of just going one mile, 
go with them too. The Jews hated, hated this one mile rule. They hated it. Because it reminded them they were in subjection to Rome. And Jesus said, don't loathe it. You have a serving attitude. And by the way, Jesus exemplified the serving attitude. And these words would have shocked the hearers. I'll tell you why. Most of the Jews in his day were expecting a military leader to come, a military Messiah. They thought the Messiah was going to be a military leader and free them from Rome. Now he said, no, my followers belong to a different kingdom. You, you go the extra mile is where that phrase comes from. And finally, verse 42, give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus told his followers they should have a generous spirit. Because we hold our possessions loosely, we can freely give when the need arises. It's not a blind call to give away things, but a willingness to put others' needs in front of our own. So Jesus lays down verse 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, five verses on how to get along with others. What does that tell us about how to deal in our relationship? What does that tell us about how to get along with others? Let me give you five things Jesus was trying to say. Number one is this, revenge is not the remedy. When dealing with conflict in our lives, the overarching theme from Jesus is that we are not in the revenge business. When someone does us wrong as Christians, our first thought should not be on how we're to get them back. Did you hear me say that? That when someone does us wrong, our first thought thought is not, well, how do I get him back? Why? Because revenge is not the remedy. If we get revenge for every deed against us, then we are creating a vicious cycle in our lives that we are in a constant state of revenge, seeking revenge and revenge receiving over and over and over again. Sometimes, hear me, child of God, sometimes it is better just to let something go. What do you eat for breakfast? I don't know what you eat for breakfast. When Michaela, my youngest daughter, was uh, little and in, I mean, I'll be honest, all the way through high school, that she, before she went to college, she'd only eat one thing for breakfast, a chocolate Pop-Tart, a, a chocolate fudge Pop-Tart. We couldn't buy an off-brand. We couldn't buy a different brand. We couldn't buy another kind of chocolate because there were like cookies and cream were not acceptable or any, there was one chocolate fudge pop tart was all she would eat for breakfast and she could smell um, uh, uh, the generic kind a mile away. It had to be put in the microwave for a certain number of seconds. I'm trying to remember back now, it's been over 10 years ago, but I think it was 12 seconds it had to be microwaved. Not 11, not 13, that wasn't appropriate. It had to be like 12 seconds, it had to be microwave, and that's all she would eat for breakfast. And she loved Pop-Tarts. But somebody's not happy with their Pop-Tarts. I don't know if you know this or not. Anita Harris, who lives in Illinois, is suing Kellogg's because she claims their strawberry-flavored Pop-Tart, their their, their strawberry-flavored Pop-Tart, doesn't have enough strawberries in it. So she's suing Pop-Tarts. Now, I'll be honest. If you look at that 
and you see strawberry, something's wrong with you anyway. Like, that's sugar in a square is all that is. It's not as, if you think this is where you're getting daily allotment of fruit, you are way off on this. But here's what she said. It is giving the impression that the fruit filling contains a greater relative and absolute amount of strawberries than it actually does. That's language out of her lawsuit. That she's suing them because it's giving the impression the fruit filling contains a greater relative and absolute amount of strawberries. Again, if you're trying to get your daily allotment of of fruit from a Pop-Tart, you are misguided. You say, well, preacher, what should she do? There is not enough strawberry in her Pop-Tart. I tell you, let me give you a novel idea. Just let it go. Switch to something else. You say, preacher, I want more strawberry in my Pop-Tart. Sure, I want more caffeine in my coffee. I want more flavor in my Diet Coke. I want more peanuts in my Snickers. I want more money in my bank. There are a lot of things I'm not getting from this world, and sometimes you just got to let it go. Because your first reaction should not be revenge. Jesus said sometimes you have to accept a loss and move on. Knowing, get this principle, this is not where our treasure is. If you want to stand out to a lost and dying world, then you control your reaction to others' actions. And that means with your family, your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents. That means at work. That means out in public. How often is your first thought as a child of God, I'm going to pay you back? I mean, it's literally the first thought I get every time somebody cuts me off in traffic. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. You know, the first thing I do, step on the gas. You know why? I'm going after them. That's why I'm going after them. And it's my wife who'll be like, what are you doing? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. How about just letting it go? Do you know how much you'll stand out to a lost and dying world if you'll just quit trying to get revenge every time somebody does you wrong? Because the world would tell you, I tell you what, I wouldn't take that. I tell you what, I'd get even. I tell you what, I'd get them back. And a child of God says, no, revenge is not the remedy. Number two, Jesus said this, a fight is not right. The last thing Jesus wanted was a disciple of Jesus to be in a brawl with someone in the world. So here's what Jesus said. When they hit, hear me, don't hit back. When they hurt, don't hurt back. When they scream, don't scream back. When they insult, don't insult back. When they slap, don't slap back. When they argue, don't argue back. When they mock, don't mock back. A disciple of Jesus should never be accused of rolling around in the mud with a lost and dying world because a fight is not right. You say, what ought to do, preacher? You replied the way Jesus replied, with kindness, grace, humility. Well, here's a novel idea. Just walk away. Just walk away. Sometimes in life, we just need to understand our opinion is not needed. Our response is not needed. The argument and the fight is not worth starting. Just walk away. I read a study, it was in 2018, that found a man spends an average of seven hours a year 
hiding out, out in a particular room in their house. Do you know what that room is? The bathroom. They've average man. Ladies, when your man disappears, he's hiding in the bathroom. Why, the study said, he's trying to get some peace and quiet. Can I tell you, sometimes, instead of fighting, you just may need to go in the bathroom and hide for a minute. That's male, that's female, that's anybody. Sometimes you just need to walk away. Sometimes you need to get out of it. The Bible says this in Romans 12, 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Honorable in everyone's eyes. Listen, a fight is not right. Don't go around repaying people. How much conflict could we avoid if we didn't go around looking for a fight? If we didn't go around reacting to every hurt, refuse to rumble. It's hard to fight with someone who won't fight back. What brawl do you need to stop in your life? What? What fight do you just need to absolutely stop? And you say, preacher, I'm right. Right. You can either be right in the argument or right with God. You choose. Number three, he says this, give up for the greater good. How do I get along with people? You give up for the greater good. Somebody wants your tunic, give him your cloak. What Jesus was saying was keep the greater good in mind here. If all we can see are our rights, we may miss the greater good. There was an opportunity to help someone. Here was an opportunity to heal someone. And Jesus wanted us to get the idea that when someone needs something, then let your rights go in order to meet the need in your life. You give up for the greater good. One of the most horrific car stories that have come out in the last few years is 2014 when GM recalled 800,000 of their cars for a faulty ignition. The cars would shut off while being driven, which meant... Listen, listen, imagine going down the road in the car and immediately you lost power to your steering wheel, brakes, and the airbags would not deploy. They recalled the cars in 2014, GM did, but they knew about the problem in 2005. Why did they recall the cars in 2014? Because 124 people died before they would recall them. Why would a corporation do that? I'll tell you why. They would not sacrifice for the greater good. We expect GM to do it, right? It's going to cost them millions and maybe billions of dollars and man hours and labor. And we expect them to do it. But, and we think it's atrocious that they wouldn't do it. But yet we do not do it. We look out for our own interests no better than GM would. Our sure way to avoid conflict is to care more about the needs of others than even our own needs. Have you ever been in conflict with your spouse where neither one of you would budge? Can I tell you, somebody has to be Jesus in the relationship. You say, I know, preacher, I've been telling that forever. She needs to be Jesus and let me win. 
You're sacrificing your relationship over trivial issues. Number four, I just hit it quickly. Jesus said, don't miss an opportunity. Jesus said, don't go one mile, go two. The Christians were operating from a different worldview, one of simplicity and goodness and virtue found in the God of Scriptures. The Romans operated from a worldview of power and conquest and greed. Roman hearts, Jesus said, could be won to Christ one at a time. Jesus was trying to get the greater good in mind and not to miss an opportunity. Here's what he was trying to tell them. Listen, listen, go with them two miles and on the road, tell them about Jesus and how to be saved. Go above and beyond. Going above and beyond can provide a great opportunity to stay out of conflict. Jesus was trying to tell us as believers, don't miss a radical, don't miss an opportunity for radical service. You know, it's hard for people to get mad at you when you're serving them. Don't miss an opportunity for radical service in somebody's life. And then number five, how do I get along with others? It's great. Number five, help more than necessary. Jesus said this, give to people that ask. Don't turn away those that need to borrow. Here's a good word for me, for you, for all of us. Most of us will help someone. Rare is the person that won't help someone who claims to be a Christian. But most of us won't help more than necessary. You, You know what we do? You know what I do? We help just enough. And what if we as Christians did more than necessary? What if we gave more than we needed to? What if we served more than we needed to? What if we ministered more than we needed to? How different would Christianity be be viewed? How could much conflict, listen, could you erase in your life If you just gave more than was necessary, served more than was necessary, ministered more, forgave more than you needed to. How much conflict could you erase in your life today? Close your Bibles and I'm finished. 1909, Vancouver, Canada, unveiled its first ever automobile ambulance we, we actually have a photo of it vancouver unveiled its first ever auto ambulance that doesn't seem like much to you 113 years ago but 113 years ago that was a huge deal ambulances had been horse and buggy ambulances had been had, had been drawn like this was a big deal this thing was going to be able to speed down the road and pick up people and get them to a hospital before it was too late and, and so they unveiled their first ever automobile ambulance and so it was a big unveiling on the first day and on the first day when they were taking it out for a test drive it's not funny but they ran over and killed somebody that day a wealthy man from austin texas while they were out test driving the ambulance at high speed for the day Ironically, it was also the first man ever transported to the hospital by the ambulance as well. You know what I thought? Stand with me. 
That's the story of too many Christians. We're running over people when we ought to be helping people. So let me ask you this morning, are you a blow-for-blow kind of Christian in your relationship? Your marriage, your friends, your family, your work, your neighbors? Are you insult for insult, damage for damage, pain for pain, hurt for hurt? Four words emerged out of these five verses. Four words. Jesus said Christians ought to be marked by grace, by goodness, by giving, and by generosity. That's the hallmark of your relationships. How do I get along with others? Let these four words be your mantra for relationships. Grace, I'm going to overlook the faults of others. Goodness, I'm going to return good even for evil. Giving, when people take from me, I'm going to give back to them. And when people need something, I'm going to go farther and give more than I have to give. I'm going to be generous. I'm not going to do what I have to. I'm going to be generous. Grace, goodness, giving, and generosity. If you, if you want to get along with others, there's the point. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that incredible message. How's the world going to know that we're different? By the fact that we love one another. We get along with the people around us. And we're not constantly at odds. And we don't snap. And we don't react. And we don't try to get revenge. When the world sees that in us, they know that there's something different. And when they know that that difference is Jesus, they are drawn to the difference. And how are you making a difference in your life? How do people know you? Um, Are you reactionary on social media? Do you pick fights on social media? Do you pick light fights in life in general? Um, According to what we heard this morning, that needs to change in our lives. And if it's going to change, we got to have a relationship with Jesus. It begins with us understanding that we're sinners. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 tells us that uh, sin came in the world by one man and that we're all sinners. Okay? Romans chapter 3 verse 23 also tells us that we're all sinners. Um, Romans 6 23 tells us that what we get for our sin is death, but God sent Jesus the gift of life for us. And then Romans chapter 10 verse 9 and 10 says, if we believe that in our hearts, that Jesus died, he was buried, and on the third day we rose, he rose again. If we believe that in our hearts and we confess it with our mouths, we will be saved. Maybe you've never done that this mor- before and this morning God has spoken to your heart. Tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. Lord, I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time and you meant it, welcome to the family. We want to help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. And so if you would, just pull out your phone and text just your name to 423 
That text message will come directly to me. I'd love to connect with you. Just send your name and we'll connect this week. Hey, it's been awesome to be together um, online this morning. I I look forward to our, our times together and I can't wait to see you next week. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.